Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdina Azband. Our daf of the day, Masachet Sukkah, daf nun bet, page 52. So, page 52 here is really, A, a long daf, B, chock full of esoteric concepts um, about the nature of the end of days, the nature of the evil inclination, the Yetzir Hara, how we are led into temptation, uh, the time of Mashiach, and more. So we're not even going to attempt to talk to touch on all of these topics. Um, I'm going to start talking about here the evil inclination, uh, which is uh, half of the way, two thirds of the way through Ahmed Aleph. And um, I would say that what that means is I'm skipping over some of this Acharita, I mean, this end of days conversation, which I think is worth reading if you have a chance, if you haven't already. And likewise, um, there's even more discussion of this evil inclination further up on the daf that, I, again, I'm not going to be able to delve into it, but it is, you know, the more you can pay attention to the evil inclination, then maybe perhaps the more uh, spicy your daf can be. Um, we have here a claim by Rabbi Avira, or perhaps Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, about the Yitzhar Hara. Darash Rabbi Avira v'itema Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Shiva Shimot Yeshli Yitzhar There are seven names for this evil inclination. HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kra'ol Ra, Shnemar Ki Yitzer Lev HaDam Ra Minu Rav. God himself calls it evil. Just bad wickedness, right? Because we've got a verse from Breshit that man is, or man's heart, is the Yitzer Lev, the inclination, is Ra Minu Rav, evil or bad from his youth. Moshe Kra'ol Arel, sorry. Moshe Kra'ol Arel, um, uncircumcised. That the uncircumcised. This is from the verse that you should circumcise the uncircumcised heart. The implication being that if you have not done so, you will follow your heart into um, you know bad, evil ways. David David calls the Yitzhara impurity or impure. From the verse from Tehillim that says, A pure heart, God created a pure heart in me. The implication being that anything that is not that pure heart that takes a man astray is going to be Tameh, the opposite of Tahor. Miklal de'ika Tameh. The moment you were talking about Tahor, you, you know, you've got in, we can infer that you've got uh, uh, something that is impure. Shlomo Kraosone, the King Solomon called it the enemy um, because there's a verse in. Mishle, which is you know attributed to Shlomo Melech, Shnemar im Raav Sanacha Achilu Lechem veim Samei Shkiu Maim ki Gechalim Atachote Al Rosho vaHashem Yishalem Lach. The verse says that if your enemy is hungry, you should give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink, because you will heap coals of fire upon his head, and God will reward you. This idea being the one who is hungry. If your enemy or if your one who hates you is uh, hungry, you should feed him. Th- then that is your yetsaharana, that which you presumably is is most adversarial to you at all times. Uh, not that God will, um, not that God will reward you or pay you, but you should read as God will yishlimenulach will reconcile to you, meaning the inclination, your evil inclination will leave you, right, or whatever, and you will be able to conquer and not be enticed to do the wrong thing.
Yishael Kra'o Michshol, the prophet Isaiah called this Yetzirah, this evil inclination, a stumbling block. And here's a verse from Isaiah, from the book of Isaiah. That the, the one of you who should cast will cast you up, clear the way, take away the stumbling block out of the way of the people, meaning what is getting in the way of the people doing the right thing is a stumbling block, which is indeed the Yetzir Hara. Yecheskel Kra'o Evan, the prophet Ezekiel, called it an, uh, a stone. Um, this verse says, uh, and again, from Yechezkel, that God will take away the stony heart out of the flesh and give you a heart of flesh, meaning you will not um, be turned away from doing the right thing from your heart of stone. And um, Okay, I'm going to pause here because what happens now is there's a whole side discussion in this list of what the Yetzirah is called by the prophet Yoel, that's Joel, right? And it just goes on into this, it takes a deep dive into Yoel's understanding of it. But the point here is that the evil inclination, that which causes a person to turn astray from the right path, from the straight and narrow, um, wears many forms, bears many faces, and and can, you know, end up messing people up. That's that's exactly its essence, right? Okay, so then we have, um, I would say it's a known, it's a Sipur Agada, it's, a, it's a, an Agadic story, that is present in the Gemara here, in this case, uh, a story about one that we know from Chazal, namely in this case, Abaye. And the story itself is written tersely and cryptically, and you could stand, spend a good amount of time writing it out, parsing it out, uh, figuring it out, what, what something can um, mean beyond the words that are there, meaning these are, it's not just a narrative account, it is a crafted story where the choice of words is very particular. Um, and there are scholars who spend their time and their profession dissecting these stories. So this is one of them. Specifically, again, we're in this discussion of the Yetzirah. And at the end of this whole story of Yoel and his and his understanding of Yetzirah, that the the claim here is that Tamidei Chachamim, the Torah scholars, are provoked by the Yetzir Hara, according to Abai, more than anybody else. And then we have an illustration of this, which is this narrative, Sipur Agada. He had Abai, what, what does Abai know about it? <coughs> there was an incident where Abai, the Abai Shmai Lahahu Gavra, it's notable that this is in Aramaic, right? The, these Sipur Agada are most often in Aramaic, as far as I know, or at least the Aramaic will creep in more more definitively than perhaps in other accounts. So Abai overheard a certain, you know, a particular man say to a particular woman, what did he say? We will let us get up early and go on the way, go on the road. So Abai says to himself, Amar, I will go, meaning with them to accompany them. And I will keep them from doing any sin, right? The the whiff of impropriety that is in this statement between a man and a woman going getting up so early to to go on the way, Abai is going to police this, or at least that is the the phrasing that you know that seems to be the shot here. As I said, we could delve into what it, might this really mean. What does it mean that the man and the woman are going on their way? What does it mean that Abai wants to get involved to prevent them from sinning? So he follows 
them. Um, he goes after them. The di- for the distance of three parse, that's a parse, that's a distance, right? Ba'agma, in a lake or in a marsh, meaning they're walking in the reeds. He, they, are, they apparently are walking on the way, on the road, and he apparently is following them, like in the in the reeds of the marsh, kind of out of sight and to, to I don't know what, right? Like he's going to spring himself on them to keep them from sin in the event that they would get to that point. That's the implication here. In any case, and also let's take note that when you're talking about the distance of three parsings, right? Like the amount of that measurement is... Um, so I haven't done this math, but I can read the people who have. And they say this is about 12 kilometers, meaning this is not a short distance that he's following them. So what happens? He follows them for these three parsings. Again, like this um, kind of super unrealistic, supernatural kind of distance. He's in the marsh and they're walking on the road. And of course, the point is that nothing, there's no hanky panky has taken place at this time, right? That's why he's following them for so long. And again, you might say, Abai, go home. You were mistaken in your judgment here. But what happens is that when they go to take leave of each other, he hears them saying, hear what they were saying, we traveled a long distance together, but Savtin Basima. It was pleasant company. Like, it was so nice to, to walk with you for this long distance. Amar Abaye. And now <coughs> Abaye is, you know, reflecting on this experience. He's talking to himself. Abaye says, if in that situation, if that man, meaning this guy who's walking the way, had been somebody that he hated, that Abaye hated, he would not have he would not have been able to keep himself from sing from sinning. Meaning the the phrasing here, and again, if you sit on it for a long time, you can interpret it to say that Abaye is saying that if this guy had been himself, meaning had he, Abaye, taken this long walk, long secluded walk, right, with a woman whose company he would have enjoyed, he would not have been able to keep himself from sinning. So that's part of the understanding that set him off on this path you know, to march after them in the marsh, right, to prevent the guy from sitting because he's functioning on the assumptions of what he himself might have been at risk of doing. Azal, so he, um, so fine, he has this revelation about himself, right? He goes, he goes, he leaves. He leans against the doorpost. And he feels bad, right? He's feeling regretful. He's, so he's feeling bad that like he would have done the wrong thing. I think that's the point here. And then Hausaba, an elder, one of the elders comes and teaches him and says to him, anyone is great. Each one is greater than the next. So too, his evil inclination is greater than the next guy over, meaning it's a comfort then to abide, right? Don't feel bad that you wouldn't have had the restraint that this guy had. He didn't have the need, the same need for the restraint that you might have had because he is a lesser function, like in terms of how he thinks and how he's a scholar and whatever else it is in terms of how he established greatness, Abai was a greater one. So so that is the end of this Sipur Agada and the both what Abai experienced and then what he his reflection afterwards. I think that the the point of 
I think there's a lot of points to pull out of here. But one key thing that should be noted is that nobody has done the wrong thing in this story. Abai is regretful over his self-awareness and self-knowledge over what he might have ended up doing had he himself been, you know, the protagonist in the story that he's marching after. But he doesn't do anything wrong. That guy doesn't do anything wrong. The woman doesn't do anything wrong. We're talking about the phenomenon of temptation. And as much as temptation might be, as the next line says, you know, something that could overcome a person every single day. Um, it says, At the end of the day, I think we all can know that just because there is temptation in every single day, it doesn't mean that it overcomes us. And, you know, Abai's regret is over something that didn't actually happen. It's about what he fears might have would have happened. And I know that's not exactly good English, um, but the point is that the grappling with temptation is is the mark of this story, I think, where there wasn't, there's, we don't see any grappling between this couple who's walking on the road. We see the grappling in Abai's imagination and then in his own self-reflection and self-knowledge. I really give the Gemara credit for adding this story. I mean, think about what it's saying about Abaye, and it's kind of amazing that they're willing to sort of acknowledge it and put it there. And I think it really says something about the purpose of the Gemara. It's not there to say that Tanayim and Amarayim didn't have human feelings, emotions, fears. Um, you know, the story's really there to say, like, Abai was a great person. And therefore, he was sort of subject to his own uh, sort of self-doubts and temptations. Um, you know, and he had a particular set of things to grapple with because he was so great. So I, I you know, I, I think we have to give the Gemara a tremendous amount of credit uh, for putting this here. And when I think about some of the modern day literature that is out about rabbis, this is not the kind of story you would ever find there. Right. There's no like what I think they call hagiography. It's not like just blanket praise in that regard. I think also there's some comfort then from this story that anybody who grapples with their Yetzirah can take from the fact that they have a Yetzirah. Like, look, even we've got a Baye and even it was a struggle for him and it was, and it was real. And so that everybody else can feel like, oh, I'm also, you know, it's, it's okay that this is part of how I have to live every day because so too the great of the great, the great, you know, among these great rabbis, um, this is also part of their reality. So I'm going to move on to a section on Amud Bed. And again, when Ann and I were preparing this, we could have just read this whole top because it's so rich. Um, but there's an interesting discussion about the Yetzir Hara and a description about the Yetzir Hara. I'm a Rav Chana Bar Acha. So Rav Chana Bar Acha says, Amri, um, Amri Bey Rav, that the school of Rav says, So I think theologically, this is a really interesting statement that there are four things that God regrets creating. So I just want to like let that think in, be, think in because I think we have many places where we talk about the perfection of creation, uh, everything you know that God created was perfect. And here we're sort of attaching a human emotion to God and saying that there was regret in creation. So just that alone is, you know, this is a very interesting passion. And so what are they? So it's the exi it's exile, uh, the Kazdim, right? Who were the, you know, Babylonians who uh, did the exile of the first Beit HaMikdash, the Yishmaelim, 
And then finally, the Yetzer Hara. And so then the Gemara basically proceeds to quote a variety of psukim to prove its point. Galut right? So how do they know that exile? So here they quote a pasuk from Yeshayahu from chapter 52, verse 5. Right? Now, therefore, for what am I here, says Hashem, seeing that my people is taken away for nothing. Right, which is also from Yeshayo, chapter 23, verse 13. Behold, this is the land of the Chaldeans. This is the people that was not, meaning it's almost as if they never existed. The tent of the robbers prosper and that provoke God are secure in whatever Hashem brings with his hand. So this is from Eo of chapter 12, verse 6. And the explanation of what this verse means is that God brought upon him herself these Arabs that dwell in these desert tents. Um, you know, that's the idea of who's who's in these in these tents. And then the Yetzir Hara, Dichtiv Asher Harayoti. And this is a pasuk from Micha, chapter 4, verse 6, right? Um, where it says that, and her I have corrupted. In other words, God is basically saying that God created the Yetzir Hara, and that leads people to sin. So, you know, I, I'm not sure totally what to make of that, this idea that somehow God could regret. First of all, regret is, again, what I would consider to be a very human emotion. So whenever we have these anthropomorphic passages, I find them to be very interesting. But, you know, just to pay attention to that within the Gemara, there's a very rich agadic tradition that, yes, you could have a Gemara that talks about the perfection of creation. And then you could just as much have a Gemara that talks about the regret of creation, which are really two very different things. And finally, I just want to conclude with this one last little bit. I'm a Rabbi Yochanan. So um, Rabbi Yochanan says, was it not for these three verses? Um, and again, uh, now he's going to go through three verses where they basically talk about that God somehow, Hashem somehow controls people's hearts, right? The legs of the enemies of the Jewish people. So that's actually talking about the Jewish people themselves, right? We know the Gemara very often will speak euphemistically would have collapsed. In other words, if it weren't for the fact that God created the Yetzir Hara, or that God actually has control over us by the creation of the Yetzir Hara, in other words, by design, we're meant to sin, then in a certain way, you know, we're going to survive the repercussions of our sinning because it's not totally our fault that we sin because God created us that we sin. So what are the psukim? So this is the pasuk from uh, Micha that we just quoted, right? That it's in a way God corrupted. And then this one was very interesting to me because this is something that we say, you know, very famous piyut uh, that we say on Yom Kippur, right? Right? You are like clay in the potter's hand. Um, and, you know, so are you. So this really gives a very different understanding to the, what that piyut is. What that piyut is basically saying Based on this pasuk, it's a it's a pasuk in Yirmiyahu chapter eighteen verse six. We're not responsible because God forms us the way God wants to form us, and we are the way we are, meaning sinful people or sinful individuals, because God made us that way. Be and then later on, now they're going to quote another one. 
in Yechezkel chapter 36, verse 26, I will take away the heart of stone out of your flesh, right? And I will give you a heart of flesh. Meaning that God placed in us this, sto- this stone heart, right? Which is this heart that obviously means could lead to sin and give us a heart of flesh. And so, you know, we're recording this in the month of Elul. I think that this, you know, daf, these, this passage really gives a different framing for, I think, what tshuva is and for what sin is. And that, in a way, it absolves us from sin because it's saying we were basically created this way. God created us that we would do these types of things. So I think that the same way, if the same way, I'm going to take from what I was speaking about before. If the same way that we can look at, at the Gemara here and say, if a Baye has a Yitzhahara, then it's not so terrible that I, the more lowly person, also have a Yitzhahara. I think that if we can say God has regrets about his you know, actions, his creations, so it's not so terrible that we also live a life in which we also have regrets. I would also note that the regrets that God has about creation, as you know, described about God here, are all about the enemies of the Jewish people. So I do think that this is the kind of thing that perhaps reflects more about the experience of Chazal and their take on history as compared to God's regrets up on high. In a you know, my my understanding, my theolo- my theology kind of doesn't really allow for God to be feeling regrets the way we humans do. But the fact that we can talk about God as having human emotion, I think is also very salient to how we can then understand God created, um, man created in the image of God and so on, that we're able to conduct ourselves, you know, following in those same footsteps, even if if we were in God's world, that might not quite work. But the way we can talk about God's world, it has to be, you know, through this prism of our own perspective. Otherwise, there's nothing to talk about. There's nothing we can say because God is on a different plane, so to speak. Right. And I think there's something comforting in this because essentially what this Kamara is saying is, is, you know, don't, this is the human condition. We are meant to sin. And I think by saying, you know, it's interesting. It's not saying that God regrets creating us because we sin, but it's sort of saying like, this is just what our nature is supposed to be. There is a piece of us that this is, you know, it's human to sin. And, you know, so the Gemara is framing it in a way that it's almost like it's God's responsibility. So I I actually find this passage to be very comforting. I'll say one more note on that comfort level. I think there's something to be said for being able to regret, right? If we weren't able to regret, then we wouldn't be able to, you know, look to improve upon ourselves and to work to do better. I I think that this kind of, establishes the nature, the fact, the phenomenon of regret as inherent to the human condition in a very positive way, as opposed to you think of regrets as negative, but I think it's not. I think that there's an aspect to having regrets that is very positive. Well, that's our top discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. Thank <music> you.